Hello, and welcome to the Weird Waves podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is episode 51. On this week's episode, we are talking to Jamal Yogis. He is a author, surfer, adventure seeker from California. This is really interesting episode. We hear all about the um, competitive nature of the book world, super wild, and we hear about Jamal's journey to being an author, all about the different types of books that he's written and how he encompasses surfing in those books. Super great. He came out with a new book. It's called Mop Rides the Waves of Life. It just came out, I believe, a couple weeks ago. So the, the information for that will be in the description. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. I'm good. Yeah, we're back in San Francisco. For been here a couple days after being away from home for three months so we are um, just getting back got to surf which is nice awesome where are you um i'm in michigan right now um my i'm actually my dad's office um my husband and i just moved to florida so we're kind of like on the move too and i flew back up to drive the rest of our stuff down to florida so yeah we like um, outside of West Palm Beach, it's called Lake Worth. It's really yeah. cool, hipstery kind of working class. We bought a house, only place in that area where we could afford to buy a house, so it's perfect. That sounds great. I, I like. Um, it's funny. I grew up going to Florida and and to see my grandparents, like everybody does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I always didn't like it because we went to like St. Pete in Orlando. And real- recently I've been discovering all these cool areas there. And, um, and yeah, I really, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, and there's so much great coastline. It's a great, great place. Yeah. We're, we're lucky in that there's a pretty cool, and I would say underrated surf spot, Lake Worth Pier. That's pretty cool. Um, as you kind of go down, there's different, like, the banks are really good. It's still like shore break, but it's, it's a nice wave. So we got, we got lucky in that aspect. Yeah. Warm shore break is, is, uh, is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where were you at before? Where were you at for three months? We were up in Grass Valley, this little town in the Sierra foothills. Um, and my dad's uh, old place is up there and there was no one there for a little while. And it was just like the city felt kind of gnarly when all the COVID stuff first happened. And so we were just like, let's go. And then when we were up there, it was nice. We were just at the river all the time and hiking. It's no very few people. So we ended up staying. Um, and we may go back. We're trying to figure out what our next step is. It's, it's fine here in San Francisco. We're across the street from the beach, which is nice. Um, but it's still like we have a small place and we're still home most of the time we're trying right. to work with three kids. So we're figuring out if we might try to rent this place and go somewhere a little bit more chill and bigger. I think that's, I think that's a, a theme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems to be Everybody a- in cities is like, ah, this is my <laughs> I think... <laughs> If you're on the go all the time, and if you're constantly like, I think the best part about being in a city is the options outside of your own like place. But right. if you're not able to go, then 
you're like, oh, where when you live in the country, it's it's literally the opposite. It's like your home yeah. is like having so much space to have people over at your house because there's not so much stuff to go and actually do. So I, I think this has been like uh, has sort of woken us up to the the fact that we don't really utilize the city that much because we're parents, you know, anymore, anyway. Mm -hmm. And so we're more like using it as caught in traffic, like rushing the kids around to their music classes and soccer practice and stuff. And we're like, and, and there's something so nice about like making your home, your, your spot, you know, where you're, and, and yeah, you're right. And then building community out of there, especially, um, at this stage of life. I mean, I love San Francisco, so I don't know. I don't know if we'll leave it, but we might take a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's... I'm interested in Florida though. My mom's been looking at the Jacksonville beach area. We've been staying up there. She's been going there like a, like a month every year. Um, I like it up there too. It's, I do too. Yeah, I think cool. it's highly underrated. And I think people love to hate Florida for some mm -hmm. odd reason. That's kind of funny. And I get it because as soon as you go like more in the middle of Florida, there's some like wild, weird stuff that goes down in there, like in the swamps and stuff. There's some strange, <laughs> like whatever, but, um, so far we, we love it. I mean, and it's, it's hot, but if you're within the coastal area, it's like probably 10 degrees cooler than like the central part. So yeah, I like it. I like the heat. I know it. I I totally don't. Know. I think it, I just like the theme park sort of parking lot aspect of like Orlando. I yeah. think it's so easy to to hate on, but it's just one aspect of the 100%. state. And the weird, like the weird kind of diversity of the state, um, politically, um, I think is is. You know, it's kind of being in California where it's just like you're like everybody agrees with you. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah. sort of inter it's interesting. You know, it's interesting to drive down the highway and just have all these like machine gun signs and um, there's abortion <laughs> billboards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not that that, uh, but it's just like um, what I think about that sometimes is like it would be good to show my kids that like there are, there's a whole plethora of <laughs> opinions out there and you have to actually like encounter those in Florida. Where it's like out here, you're just sort of like, well, this is the way you think. And it can become kind of like dogma, you know, this sort of, um, but anyway, let's, my kids, I have them on an iPad for an hour. And so I sh we should probably jump in cause then they'll start spazzing out about something That's and try okay. to get in here. So let's, um, no, that sounds good. Let's jump into the cast if if you're not already recording. I record everything, uh, so that's what I do. And then um, if there's anything, I send you like the edit. And then if there's anything that you're like, oh, I'm not really interested in that, then all right, I don't want that in there, then I'll crop it out. But for the most part, there's no format. The format is we just talk to each other. It's oh, okay, cool. kind of pretty <laughs> open. So um, I just I like always that. record the whole thing. And what's cool is that people, they like it for that because it just kind of sometimes it goes like up here. Sometimes yeah. it goes over here. It's just kind of interesting. So um, I guess what I'm interested in just from what we were just talking about is what do you and I'm assuming is it your wife? 
But yeah. you, it's you and your wife and you have three kids. What do you guys do that you are so flexible that you can just leave for three months? Well, it's only because of COVID that we were able to do that because okay. usually my wife has to be in an office. She runs and she's always been in like uh, health care technology, I guess you would call it. Um, she runs, she, her company helps cancer um, patients. There's like new, very targeted drugs that help you not be on chemo. And I've been like curative for late stage cancer. And she helped start this website that and software that basically helps those people get the drugs cheaper um, that they need. So she has an office here in San Francisco and runs that company. So she has a crazy job. And, um, but we've been kind of thinking we might, we're always like every family in San Francisco being like, can we stay here? <laughs> it's too <darn> expensive. <laughs> um, but we love the beach and we love our community. Um, and she's been tied to that job. And I'm, I have a super flexible schedule cause I'm just a, a writer and I take jobs as they come mostly books these days. But, um, you know, I do a little teaching. I'll do some journalism. I'll do, uh, you know, you name it. I've done it. Screenplays, pamphlets, <laughs> music, like, um, I've done every sort of kind of writing and, um, and, and, and teaching from meditation to, um, to writing classes. So I'm just sort of a mutt and, um, and I can work from anywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, yeah, it's been good. It's, 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 um, it's been good. It, it was, I carefully crafted, you know, to be able to like, I used to just take off to Indonesia for three months every year. I would just always be on the go. And then when I got married and had kids, I was like, oh, now my flexible schedule means I'm the guy who's going to watch the kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, um, which has been a great joy. I love being a dad. Um, but it is, it, um, it is, we're in a hectic time because we have a four, six and eight year old. And so now it's been like homeschool for the last three months, no babysitters. Um, so the fact that, uh, these casual chats <laughs> are, are, um, are not as easy to come by as they used to be. I'm sure. And are you, your book that you just came out with, you're probably doing a lot of, talking or trying to do that right now too and plus homeschooling it must be kind of like it's wacky <laughs> it's wacky yeah mop rides the waves of life is um is coming out tomorrow so today oh, is tomorrow. Like tomorrow yeah so today is a crazy day of like um you know doing all kinds of press stuff and um but it's a it's it's been um it's been fun though. Cause it's my first real, it's my first, I self published a kid's book for like one of my, our first son when he was born, but this is my first like real published children's book. And, um, it's fun cause they're so involved in it. So they'll be like, you know, um, like we just did this animated video, um, that I put on social media and our eight year old does the voiceover <laughs> and That's I fun. did, we did a rap. Um, the mop rap 
why it's like throw your hair in the air, do the mop, and um, because mop's got he's <laughs> got like a big old like Rob Machado afro, and um, and they you know help me with the beats and they're like in the song, so I I've tried to include them as you know I was right when we went on lockdown I was writing the second mop. And so I'd just like be like, all right, guys, it's art project time and throw all the paper out. And I was like drafting the second book and they were being like my little editors. And um, so uh, I think I didn't plan that, but it's worked well, like as like a homeschool project, because there's no way I could have written like a 200 50 page grown up book during this quarantine <laughs> time. Uh, my focus has been very much in like three minute spurts, 30 what second a, spurts. <laughs> what a like great homeschool aspect of like being involved in something like that. That's not something you can usually just get inside of a classroom. I mean, that's pretty cool. It's cool that I think, um, one of the things I really, um, when we had kids, I was like, well, I should, now I should go get a real job because, you know, I don't make tons of money <laughs> being, a, being an author. Um, maybe someday, you know, I'll, I'll be like a 10 million book bestseller, but it's like so far, you know, I'm like, have like a teacher salary and, and that's been, but it's what I love. And, um, and, so when they were born, I was like, I I started looking into like tech jobs that I could get. And, um, but it was like, one, I was trading the flexible schedule. And then two, I was like, you know, one thing that's really cool about what I do is I can show my kids that you can do um, what you want. And I think that's like an invaluable lesson that, that even if your <laughs> dad isn't, you know, rolling in dough like he's he's really happy doing what he's doing and he um and i can spend time with them so that so um so yeah i still kind of pinch myself every day that i can you know that i can go to work you know working on stuff that's often related to surfing that's creative storytelling and uh, so i feel pretty lucky for that yeah that's awesome so this is through a publisher. How did you get that deal? Or how does that work? If you said this is your first non self published book? Well, um, so I've done, I've done three um, published books for like grownups before, oh, okay. before this. My yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For, um, but that was like a mystery to me too. So my trajectory as, as an author was, um, I went to I went to journalism school and I wasn't planning on um on you know writing memoirs or anything like that. Um I wanted to eventually like write the great American novel but I was going to go be like a you know like a like Graham Greene or something or Seymour Hirsch like be a great investigative reporter, travel the world, surf um and and so I got out of journalism school, got a magazine job at San Francisco Magazine. But there was a an aspect, um, there's an aspect of it that I left because you're like as a journalist, you're always in school and you're kind of. Um, and I was getting to write a few surf pieces um, for like the Surfer's Journal and Surfer, and 
but there was um uh meditation has been like a huge part of my life when i was uh well my story is when i was 16 i ran away from home to maui and um to learn to surf because i was like a skater and snowboarder i was getting into all kinds of trouble and i really wanted to surf ran away to maui Maui was in paradise because I was broke with no money and I was like getting my ass handed to me by the North Shore. And, um, but my parents were yogis. They were meditators and I like rebelled against that or didn't, just wasn't that interested in it. It was like what my parents did. But then when I was in Maui, I started meditating because I was just like freaking out. Like here I am alone. Um, with no money. Anyway, I was only over there for a few weeks, but it got me meditating. Um, I had to come back because I was on probation <laughs> for a DUI. Um, and uh, my dad came to get me. But um, long story short, that <clears throat> surfing and meditation for me kind of grew up together. And um, when I was finished high school, I went to live in a Buddhist monastery. I was super into it. I lived there for a year, like full on, like Orthodox Zen. Did you shave your head? Buddhism. <laughs> I didn't because I wasn't like um, fully ordained. And in this tradition, you only do that if you're going to be a monk for life. And I was contemplating that. But I was at the end of the day, I, I went to college um, instead. But I was I was seriously considering it. Meditation was still a big part of my life as a journalist. like, <clears throat> but. Um, wasn't something that I ever wrote about this like spiritual part of myself. So I felt like I was, I wanted, there was like some part of my heart that wanted to like talk about that, that my inner world. And so I wrote one piece for a magazine. I was really nervous about it. And it was this little magazine and, um, I kind of hoped that it wouldn't get seen. And then, it went like viral. It was about how surfing is a meditation for me. This was like 15 years ago. Um, and it was kind of before like the whole like mindfulness movement blew up and like NFL people were like practicing mindfulness and like it became a billionaire. So it felt like a nerve wracking thing. Cause if you were like talking about meditation, it was like, how much acid have you dropped in the last, <laughs> you know, it was like, it's still, so I was like nervous that it was going to kind of, wreck my credibility as a journalist um anyway um a publisher ended up reaching out a small publisher in in um, boston and saying we want to make that a, your story into a book um and so i kind of hemmed and hot about that but then i en ended up doing it and um got a tiny advance moved on to a little my girlfriend's dad's sailboat and wrote saltwater buddha which was my first book but that introduced me to the publishing world. And um, I don't think I ever, if I hadn't gotten that first like offer to do it, I wouldn't have ever known how to go about it or thought like, oh, I even could do it. At that age, I was like 26 when I wrote it. And, um, and then, but it, you know, publishing has like a whole, like anything, it just is like its own ecosystem. You got to learn the rules and who are the gatekeepers and yada, yada. And so that, that book kind of introduced me to that. And then I learned how to do grown up books, but then it turns out the children's book world is it's like whole other ecosystem too. So I had to, um, I think because I, 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 um, uh, I knew a few people in the industry and like had an agent and stuff. Like I was able to 
to get a publisher to buy on my first children's book, but it's, it's amazingly like competitive, um, the children's book world. <laughs> it's like super cutthroat. <laughs> I, you know what? I've heard that with, um, toys as well. That like oh, the I toy bet. world is also super cutthroat, which is just, you know, super interesting. <laughs> my agent was like, I, I showed him this rhyming book that I wanted to pitch. Um, and he was just like, you're not going to be able to pitch this. Like, nobody's taking rhyming books. And I was like, how do you know that? What the, I was like, what the fuck? Everybody, like, I grew up on rhyming books. Come on. Like, there's rhyming books coming out. He's just like, they're almost impossible to sell right now. And um, he told me, like, <laughs> he was like, all the people bought his wife works at Penguin. And, like, he was like, do you remember that movie, Alf? with um, yes. <laughs> like there is a children's book publishing scene in that where like the people are like super it's like black turtleneck like yeah. museum artists like super like gnarly and he was like that's how it is you're not gonna um so i was fortunate with mob rides the waves of life that um i found this publisher in berkeley that's like an imprint of penguin random house but they're super like um, small and chill and they love this story and I can like go over there and plan it out with them and um, so it felt a lot more like organic and homegrown but also we have like the all the channels to get it into bookstores so it felt like the best of both worlds so do you go to them with an idea with like multiple ideas and you pitch it that way or are you just going with like one strong idea or how does that work well, for this one, just one idea. I mean, so what I did is I'm not an illustrator, but I, I just mocked up the whole thing in stick figures. So mop, mop sort of arose organically because I love to doodle, like doodle waves like every other surfer, you know, and you're just like sitting around <laughs> and draw some tubes. And, um, and uh, I was drawing this little stick figure with like super curly hair and I really liked his look. So... Then I started drawing him in other, on other waves. And then before I knew it, I was like, oh, this guy could have a story. And so that became a book. But the children's book world is super specific. Like you either have like a 32-page book or a 40-page book. You can deviate from that, but it's super hard to sell. It's like weird. Like why can't you have a 28-page book? It's I don't know. But it's like <laughs> the way the printers are. <laughs> bonkers. And so... um so I, I made it into this 40 page stick figure um, book and I actually wanted to make it by the time I was done. I was like, Oh, I really like this stick figure. Um, but then uh, I, so I, I pitched it like that one idea, but that was after like three ideas that I showed to my agent where he was like, no, I can't sell this. Um, and, um, and actually, you know what I, with mop, I was even tired of like, him saying that. <laughs> now I remember I just remember this and I was like I'm just gonna send this to publishers myself because <laughs> like, I was like because I know a few people and I was like I'm tired of like getting shot down and um so I did that and I actually got them got uh them interested myself so sometimes I feel like you just gotta be like the, the 
shove my foot in the door. Yeah, and then which is not to knock my agent. He's great. He's really knows his stuff, but and he helped me get a way better deal and stuff. But he um some but they're so used to like getting no's from publishers too, because like yeah. everybody has a kids book idea. If you have kids do you have kids? I don't know. <laughs> when you have kids like all of a sudden you're just reading like hundreds of children's books and you can't help but get like some clever idea for like a creature or a you know, and your kids are saying funny things and like making up worlds. And so I think everybody at some point gets a children's idea. Sort of like everybody has a movie idea. They're like, what if, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so like it's no surprise that they do have to be like stringent and be like, we can't take everything. But that turns into the turns into I think a lot of great ideas never seeing the light of day too so if you really have a great idea my advice is just don't give up on it because I'm also doing a graphic novel series with Scholastic that literally I worked on for like five years and talked to so many people about it before I finally wound up with the publisher of my dream Scholastic but I just couldn't get people to look at it because everybody's got like a comic book or a graphic novel. Right. And so it was, it just, and I wasn't a, a graphic novel writer. So I just, it took so long and just the right <laughs> hustle to, to get anyone to read the thing. That's cool. So you have multiple <laughs> projects kind of going at the same time. And then do you just keep them? Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to phrase this question, I guess, but so you, you would like come up with all these different ideas or write these books and then you sit on them until someone will publish it or you will publish it yourself. I mean, <clears throat> so I went through a big transition where I was like, so I wrote that saltwater Buddha and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden you get pigeonholed of like, Oh, Jamal writes these like surfing memoirs. Cause I wrote one about my story. So then <laughs> Then I realized that was something that I could get publishers interested in. And, and I was also interested in writing more of those. So I wrote a couple more books like that. One is called The Fear Project. That's like a journalist neuroscience investigation. But, and the other is All Our Waves Are Water, which is like a, a sequel to Saltwater Buddha. But, um, for each of those, I like basically wrote, um, uh, a chapter and a pitch and, and then send it out. And then you get an advance to finish mm -hmm. the book from a publisher. Um, that feels like you have a lot more security because you're like, I know at the end of the day, this is going to get published. So if I work for a year on it, I'm, I'm getting, it's my job. You know, it's more like a journal, the way journalism works for nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um, like you're like, I have an idea about a story and let me get an editor to pay me to go out and report it. Um so that was my life for like a decade. And then I realized I really wanted to do a fiction. I, I love like fantasy novels. And that was my graphic, that was my graphic novel series. Um, it's called city of dragons and fiction is like a whole different animal where you have to finish the whole book oh. before you show it. Um, unless you're like super lucky and you, you can sometimes finish like half a book or a quarter of a book and, if it's just like stunning and you have the right connections, you can get it published. So, um, but everybody was like, Nope, I need the whole book. It's gotta be done. It's gotta be perfect. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So I'm just going to like 
take two years and like make a leap of faith. Um, so what I ended up doing with that one is while I was doing like other projects, I would just, I just kind of kept tinkering until, um, until I had, had, had it done. And, um, and that was, um, really, and that was really challenging. And then with children's books too, it's the same deal. You got to kind of have it done. Um, you can pitch an idea, but it's like, it's easier if you just can show them the full concept because really they're looking for just any reason to say no. Um, so if you don't have your thing like thought out, um, you know, it's the, it's probably going to be a no. So, um, so yeah, but my, my life is like, I'm always juggling. Yeah. Multiple things and and just now these children's books projects and the graphic novel are collaborative so i'll finish the story while the illustrator's illustrating oh, and then cool. while the illustrator's illustrating i can work on the next one and that's kind of how it's been going lately but um but it's been a big big juggle because i'm working on i also do some documentary film stuff and um it's just a big, big juggle. Yeah. So when when you find an illustrator that you like, do you send them like a um, a little bit of your the story that you have, and then they say yes or no? Did you go through multiple illustrators? How does that work? It's so funny. So each each one of these, like I said, each one of these has like its own rule book, and for children's like like elementary school illustrated books, picture books, the publisher often wants to have a say in who the illustrator is. So you actually pitch it oh. with, with, unless you're the illustrator and you're able to do both, you just pitch the writing or maybe some sketches like I did. And then they want to match up. So for Mop, they, they found Matt Allen, the surf illustrator, who's like just an amazing surf artist. Um, and I was super stoked and was like, oh, yeah, he's better than my stick figures. <laughs> but um, uh, for the graphic novel, which is more like, you know, middle grade and above, uh, they want you to come in with your illustrator. So for that one, I, I wrote out the script and then I went and just tried to find illustrators. and. I, um, and then we pitched it together, you know, as a team. Mm-hmm. And, and um, would they get the same like credit or maybe like compensation? Is it similar to what you get or is it different? It varies. I mean, for, um, like for mop, um, Matt came on as like what they call like a work for hire. So he was just paid a flat rate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for mop one. And, um, and I think if I had known he was doing that, I might've talked him out of it and been like, no, come on as a co 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 like a co-creator where you can get back end royalties and stuff. Um, but that might've felt more safe to him too. Cause it was like, well, now I know I'm going to get paid rather than like right. taking le- less money up front and then relying on sales. But, um, we were doing a second one and now he's like a, I, uh, I, um, 
and now he's like a sort of like a co-creator where we'll we'll share the royalties 50 50 and the advance and stuff um but it varies like people have all kinds of different um structures you know for my for the graphic novel series vivian and i kind of like i wrote it but then when she came on we like re-envisioned it together that's how how we want it to be so it represents both of us and um and and so she's like she's not only the illustrator she's like a co-creator of the story and we do everything together so um so everything's 50 50 cool that's so interesting it's just it's part of what i like about the podcast is you never know what kind of like world you're gonna get you know (laughs) stuck into and hear about these little things that you would never think of how much goes into a children's book (laughs) it's like podcasting everybody wants to start a podcast and they get into it and they're like oh yeah this is a lot of work (laughs) it is a lot of work 100 percent. yeah no it's it's very true it's it is funny to see everybody 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 wants to have a podcast because i think i'm sure it's the same as books it like seems like it's there's a lot of money in it and there's a lot of whatever and but it's it's tough 99 percent of the money goes to like you know one percent of the of the people but then um but yeah it uh it is i've tried i tried doing a podcast briefly and i was just like well this is um this is like a full-time job on its own i'm gonna have to (laughs) to wait (laughs) yeah yeah it's it depends on the week, but sometimes it feels like more work than other times, I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, so with surfing, with your surfing aspect of your life, so did you first start surfing when you ran away to Maui? Is that the beginning of your... More or less. I mean, I, I would surf on vacations and stuff. We lived in Sacramento. And okay. My, da- my dad... Um, had been a surfer like on, on Long Island when he was growing up and, um, and in Hawaii when he was stationed in Vietnam. So I sort of heard a lot of surfing stories and then we would go to on little vacations to the beach and I'd boogie board or try to stand up. Um, but I didn't really get to start until I ran away. And then I went, um, so I ran away from home, didn't really learn to surf in that three weeks in Hawaii. And then, um, and then um, my parents were like, oh, Jamal just needs to get out of his school. So they let me study abroad my senior year. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, yeah. So I went to France my senior year and was hoping to get some place on the coast. Wasn't. So I didn't get to surf really. So I didn't really. Then I went to um, uh, college in Hawaii on the big island. So that's kind of. So I didn't really like start surfing every day until you know i was like 18 but then it just became like all i did you know so uh for for and my whole life revolved around it that is the story of most people that surf i think honestly <laughs> yeah so yeah so now we you know have so then i moved around um from like between Hawaii and Santa Cruz pretty much for, and like Mexico for during college years. And, um, and then, um, pretty much a based out of like the Bay area and like ocean beach, 
and um, since after college with like you know trying to travel but I've been pretty much an ocean beach surfer that's cool how many countries have you been to for surfing you said you used to go to like Indo and stuff gosh um I mean yeah I went I've been to um let me think Mexico and Indonesia and around Europe like France and Spain and um uh you know some Central America like Costa Rica um but yeah I I I, I want to do more traveling um and it's haven't haven't uh haven't gotten a chance to go beyond that india um so but since having since having kids uh, we've been it's it it has been uh it's <laughs> the word just hemmed in a bit <laughs> yeah well i think that makes sense i think it's so much harder to travel with kids it is. We've been lucky to travel a lot, but it hasn't been like surf trips that much. We've been getting them. They're sort of, uh, they like the warm water. So I'm always trying to get them to go out at Ocean Beach. And it's, it is kind of like the gnarliest place to learn to surf. It's yeah. cold. It's like super big and powerful. And, um, so you got to just like get slammed by the whitewash if you're going to learn. And then, so they're like, I was when, um, super gung ho when we just had one. He was like two, and I was like out there every day, like after school, like throwing him into the waves. And then he turned like three or four, and he's like, "I don't want to do that." <laughs> then I was like, "I'm gonna traumatize them." So now they pretty much like when we go, when we're lucky enough to like go to Hawaii or Florida, they'll get in, and you know, I'll push them into some waves. But I'm waiting for that moment where they're like. It's interesting, like, I feel like you need the hunger a little bit. Like, we just were up in the mountains, like I said, and now we are suddenly back and they're like, let's go surf. You know, when you live on the beach, I think kids can kind of take it for granted, too. And like, uh, I think it's like anything, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, totally. Totally. I think I wanted to surf so badly, partly because I lived inland and it was like this thing that was uh, like... uh you know, that just seemed like the holy grail out there. But if I could just do that, <laughs> you know, everything would work out. Yeah, yeah I, I think in Florida, I've met some people that they're like, you moved to Florida for surf because we lived in the lake. And the lake, it like, it's good surf too, but it's just different. And you, ha you have like this hunger because it's so hardcore to do it that when you move, to a place where you can actually do it it's so it's like incredible but everyone's like why would you move to florida for surf like you know it's not like you should be in california and i'm like ah, i don't know pretty good no florida is amazing and the whole east coast is amazing surf it's so underrated i, I think mean, so yeah, too you're not, you're not gonna get like triple overhead days a lot but it's like who really I mean, it's so much more peaceful to surf like warm head high waves, or like, and um, yeah, and the, I feel like the community is really great on the on the East Coast too. Like, 
the um i've never seen like a stronger surf community than like around like new jersey and like yeah, new york yeah. and stuff like people are people who surf year round are like so supportive of each other whereas like in california it can be so competitive and um yeah i think it's just turned down a little bit too because it is a little more like fickle maybe like it's yeah. um when we were in north carolina um, I think it was like a month ago on vacation. And for us, the waves were good because the second period was like, I don't know, 10 or something, 10 second period. And um, you, the waves were small, but they were easy to get into just cruising waves, you know, nothing serious. And there was no like nobody out except for a couple of other people. We were so, so excited. And the other people that were out were also so excited. Because it was just like, who's going to go surf small waves, excited people that are just stoked, you know? <laughs> it's like once it gets big, then you have people that are like trying to kind of show who can be in what spot at what time, you know? It's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's such a good metaphor for life. It's like when you are just sort of like keeping your expectations like in low yeah <laughs> you're stoked like you're like ah oh, it's two feet i can go surf i imagine i imagine the lake is community is rad like that too because you're just everybody's like just so excited to be having fun like on a good swell but I would is say there like the a local part. is there localism and stuff or is it yeah. get crowded so yes it's like it I wouldn't say crowded. It's crowded for the lakes. And I think that the localism, most people just laugh about it. There is some like I'm not gonna get specific, but if some if someone is listening to this and they surf on the lakes, they know what I'm talking about. There is a certain areas that feel as though they have a special wave and it's like super special on the lake. And I get that too because um the lake is so like sensitive to the point where the wind can change and it can just basically fuck everything up in a matter of like 30 minutes. So you can be driving somewhere and the wind shifts and it's over and you missed it. So I think protecting that is why there is a little bit of localism, but I would say the majority of people just kind of laugh that off and are like, are you serious? Like if they've surfed anywhere else, they're kind of like, guys, really? You know, like it's like not, it's not that important, you know, but there's a lot of really, really, really good surfers on the lakes and they're really good. And then when they get to the ocean, they are just shredding because when you get the perfect conditions and you're used to surfing in the least perfect conditions, you can just take advantage of that. So that's a pretty cool um aspect of Great Lake surfing. And I do think the other thing is that they don't take themselves too seriously, which I really like. I always yeah. liked that aspect of it. It was like kind of, you know, everybody has to have a foamy a hundred percent, no matter if you're like shredding or not, because you want to be able to get out when it's like this, you know, yeah. just to get under anything. So that's a pretty cool aspect of, of the lakes for sure. Yeah, I want to get up there. I've been, I love, um, 
I'm friends with those guys at Surf the Greats. Oh, they're yeah, they're, they're awesome. so they're so great, and um, yeah, I just I love uh, how I love the the vibe, and I'm amazed when I see the footage of it. There's like some serious waves out there, like barrels, yeah. and you know, good. Yeah, I imagine, but that is it's kind of cool that it it's so like it's it operates on its own weather pattern altogether so you really have yeah. to know that like you can't just show up at the lakes and be like i'm gonna i'm gonna look at surf line <laughs> no not at all and, like, and it, it's funny too because there's so many there's so many aspects of it that's really like random sometimes you when i was teaching surf lessons you'd get people that had a surf lesson scheduled and then they got some alert that says like um they said like we're canceling and or we're not coming because we saw that there's a red flag or there's dangerous rip currents and it's like that's the only time you can surf actually is when they put those warnings out for dangerous rip currents. So if you don't know that, then you kind of are out of the loop and there's a big like there's kind of a big threshold to get over before you start understanding it. So I think a lot for a lot of surfers, they like that challenge, especially a lot of really, really good surfers who have surfed everywhere. And then it's like another kind of thing to learn and whatever. You can't just go on magic seaweed. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. How's the freshwater like consistency change things? Is it because it's it's less viscous, right? It's like a little thinner, but I imagine the cold makes it kind of thick. So it's less, you're less buoyant Uh, because it's not, because it's freshwater. I don't know about the consistency. I don't think that's anything that I really noticed in that way, but you are less buoyant. So even like when I first moved there, um, my board that would have been, what's like a 510, it's like a wide board and I don't know the leadage, but it's like not a thin paper clipboard you know it's like a it has some beef in it and it was not like you're sitting so much lower in the water because you're not as buoyant so that's kind of something to get over if unless you're like incredible if you're an incredible surfer then you can kind of like adjust to that and maybe get something with a little bit more leaderage and you'll be fine but i would say for most people it's the buoyancy thing that is kind of weird and you also have to sit in a different spot almost because of being like lower in the wave when you're like sitting um yeah i think there's a little bit of a a learning curve like i had surfed the lakes almost exclusively for about two years and then um my husband and i went on a trip and i went to and it was really good really really good surf and i was so fast that i couldn't catch anything because the waves are so quick on the lake that you have to be super fast. And I had all this time on the ocean. Like you can just, (laughs) (laughs) so, but it's fun. I would definitely recommend going to surf the greats because man, those guys, they've got a, they've got a really special thing working there. It is like, it's just awesome. Yeah. They seem like they just are so dedicated to the community aspect of like having a shop too, which is, is really yeah, I, I love I love seeing surf communities like that. It's really cool. Yeah, one day it's definitely on on the bucket list. I'll make it up there. But, yeah, um, 
but Florida sounds pretty nice right now. I want to explore the whole East Coast. Like I pretty much just surfed, surfed Montauk and the Jersey Shore mm-hmm. and a little bit in North Carolina and a little bit in Florida. But there's, I mean, there's so much coastline and there's actually like so many empty waves, I think. Um, just great little like tubing beach breaks and it's um and jetties and and all kinds of fun stuff so yeah it's it's a lot i mean both coasts are amazing obviously california has lots of wonderful surf and i'm happy to be here but there's i don't know maybe i'm getting old but i like the warm waters to me i used to be like such a cold water advocate because you know we we, um like had all this pride about surfing in canada and like not wearing not needing to wear booties (laughs) it's like i don't know i hit 40 recently and i'm like i kind of like this (laughs) (laughs) i think having kids too you just want to get everybody out there get the whole family it's like it's like such a like when you have to drag too much stuff and like get everybody out of their wetsuits, you're just like, this is not fun. I want to just like walk out my door and my boardies and throw the kids in the water. It's a whole, it is a whole thing. I like, I've enjoyed that about Florida right now. I'll say that. And when we were in North Carolina, it was warm enough to where you didn't need a wetsuit. And it's just like, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. I think I'll be that person in Florida that just never wears a wetsuit because you don't really need one there. They say you might in the winter, but man, I don't think so. I think it's pretty warm. I know. I was talking to these guys when I was out there last time. Like, oh, I don't. It gets too cold in the winter to surf, and I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) come on. But that's right. a great, I mean, I'm sure, wait, I mean, wait till you're out there for a few years. You might be like, oh, the water's 70. I'm going to get my <laughs> two. three, two. Put my, three, two. Put my long two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so are you a Maybe. short border or a long border? What is your? A little of both. Yeah. I mean, mostly, I, you know, I, I really, I learned shortboarding and, you know, I, I was like a skater growing up. So I wanted to like. Dude, but yeah, I love the longboard. Uh, so I have like, I find myself taking my soft top out just so much um, these days because, um, especially in the summertime and mm-hmm. here, it's like kind of junky, windy, foggy. You just want to go have fun. But yeah, I have some, you know, I love like little, um, sort of sweet potato kind of boards, you know, yeah. like those are kind of, probably like what I surf mostly and then um and longboards and then when it's really good I like to have like a just a regular thruster you know if it's like you know head head and a half here we do get some days where it's just so or it'll like go to Santa Cruz points or something sometimes just like to be able to still ride those boards but i find myself more and more wanting to either just go fast on the like no rocker sweet potato and try to make sections or um or like be out on a long board and just catching a lot of waves that's what 
That's yeah, wave count up. I like to do because, um, yeah, there's, uh, I think for me, it's just whatever I'm having fun on. Like, I don't care. I don't have any ego anymore around like doing a great cutback or like, <laughs> you know, or snap or something like that, that I could maybe do better on a thruster. If it feels better to just be on a weird board and just be going fast or, or, um, that's like the fun, fun part to me. Or, you know, if it's hollow, I'll take whatever board I can to try to just get covered up. But, um, my, um, yeah, my quiver right now is like, I have a little 510 quad, like a 6, 8 ruster. I have this weird Patagonia, like 8.6 gun. I have a Danny Hess, like Mavs gun. And then I have this big boat longboard. And then I have like a little Firewire sweet potato. Um, and, um, but yeah, the sweet potato and the, and the, and the big boat are getting the <laughs> most mileage yeah. right now. Yeah. That's cool. I like the, I think one, I would imagine one of the perks of being in California is having access to so many like boards, just the option of board. Cause the best shapers, some of the best shapers are all in California. So I would just imagine that you can get when we were in San Diego, just the quality of like secondhand boards that you could get for 300 bucks was like, are you serious? Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, I take that for granted. I remember. Actually, that Firewire sweet potato is one that I, I paid like $1,000 for, I remember, which just felt so ridiculous when I was in Portugal because um, I really wanted one of those boards that all there were for sale were like these little chippy boards and it was like summertime and I was going to be there for like two months and I was like, all right, I'm just going to bite the bullet and buy this board because you just can't find like a a board with any volume it was and we were we had like a little like hatchback rental i was trying to move around with but i i i realized how much i take it for granted that we just have like all these yeah great boards around and that's not the case in every other part of the world and so many weird boards like you can find asim boards and yeah you know hess boards and wouldn't you know recycled it's like whatever you want to find is here um but I think, uh, yeah. So, so that's fortunate. I don't. I'm at this point where, like, I I haven't been. You know, all my all of our money goes to my children's. <laughs> so I haven't bought a new board in like six years. But if you need to get like a used beater, you can find it pretty easily. You know. Yeah, that was one of the things that stood out to me the most when we were there. I was just like. And I have a board issue. I've talked about on the podcast before. I love boards. I love having lots of weird looking boards that are like, I just like to try them and then I'll sell them and then get different ones. I'm like, and I wanted the, I still think about this board that I saw in California and it was only like $200. But it's like, then you got to fly back with it. Is it going to make it fine and all of that stuff? Right. But I was so surprised at all the, surfboards that were like 200 bucks 300 bucks no dings no like comes with fins comes with a board bag comes with <laughs> leash comes with like everything you're like, whoa 
crazy. But yeah, um, yeah. Now, well, you gotta just um, drive out sometime. Yeah, L- load, load up the van. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I talked to a guy from, I think it was a guy from Alaska, who would do that. He would drive yeah. down and then drive all these boards up from California, like just fill up every hundred dollar you know, whatever, anything that you can get and then drive it. And the same, I believe, in Michigan, too, just because the surplus is there. Now it's changed a little bit because we do in that area have actual surf shops, but just interesting um, in that regard. So, well, we're reaching close to the hour. I know you have to go soon, so I'll I'll give you... I have three last questions for you, if you can answer those. Okay, the first one is, what is the weirdest wave that you have ever surfed? Oh, good question. Um, I think... um, Let's... Stranded, like, inventory... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all, the, all the spots I think my Swiss cheese brain is kicking in I mean there is a um, uh, there's this place in uh, Indonesia called the Gili Islands where there's no cars and you take you take a boat there it's like a 12 hour boat from Bali and um and it's pretty flat for the most part but there's this um there is like a brief like a mile out that you can paddle to and i was there just not planning on surfing because it was like it kind of i was we were just there chilling out for a bit and um but this one day like we saw the waves breaking out there and um so I made the paddle, not expecting to like for it to be good, and it turned out that it was like it was. It ended up getting really good later, but the first day we surfed it, it was like one foot, and this perfect like sort of like it looked like almost like a mini little chopu on the reef, <laughs> but it only stayed like knee high. And it would just race down the reef and you were under like the Lombok volcano. On like uh was it Lombok? No, not Lombok, but I can't remember what the volcano is, that you're like under this fourteen thousand foot volcano and you're like out in the middle and the water is was more crystal clear than I'd ever seen a reef. And the reef was super healthy, so it's super colorful. So you would race down these little like one foot like waves and um super fast and it was just weird how it like generated this kind of like it would stay so small but it would like generate this little like suck um because it was shallow too but you could but it, it was weird it felt like some reefs you when it's like two feet deep you feel like you're gonna like get all cut up like every time you fall and this reef was just really I don't know if it was the clarity of the water or the way it was. It didn't feel like we were going to, I didn't get any like razor <laughs> slices and it was such a magical time. And then the swell started picking up and it got, it started getting really good, but it was like, 
when it was so small, it was it was probably the weirdest and most like magical session I've, I can remember. That's awesome. Can yeah. picture picture that <laughs> perfectly. Actually, um, what is your biggest oh shit moment while surfing? Oh, definitely a Mavericks. Um, for my second book, I decided I was going to research fear and like push myself to train to surf Mavericks. It's down the street from my house. You know? <laughs> bunch of my neighbors are regular Maverick surfers. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And then there was a night I'd surfed it a few times and I, you know, it was really freaky and I, but I'd gotten a little confidence because I'd gotten a few waves and, um, and then I paddled out on this night where it was just, it was like just ballistic, like 25 second. It was, it was a mix of swells, but there was one swell in it that was like direct west, like 20 second period. And when Mavericks gets like a 20 second period, it's and it's west. It's just so gnarly. So there was a bunch of guys out, um, a bunch of pros out and stuff. Si- then this was the night Sion Molesky died, actually. Oh, um, wow. And he was out there. I'd never met him before, but I talked to him. And I was just like, I'm not going to surf. I'm just going to sit on the shoulder and like watch this. But even like it was so stormy that like these really wide swingers were coming in. So I was kind of sitting on the shoulder like being like, should I maybe try to pick one off? But it was breaking in different places so you could like easily get caught. Anyway, I picked one off on the shoulder that wasn't very big um, for Mavericks. You know, it was like 20 feet face. And then... Mavericks has two bowls and it hit the inner bowl and it was like all of a sudden this huge barrel (laughs) and I had no choice but to like pull in to this like massive barrel and I think just the fact that I never expected I would ever get like a barrel or be anywhere close to it because I I was trying to surf it kind of safely like not surf like on the bowl and take off behind the, the peak and stuff but anyway yeah I got like fully covered up by this <laughs> Mavericks dude. And I would actually, I think if I hadn't like just frozen up and been like, Oh shit. Um, I could have maybe ridden out, but I just like balled up, <laughs> <covered> <laughs> up and went down. And it wasn't, it wasn't the worst fall. Like it actually let me out pretty easily but i remember that was like the most i've ever panicked because i was like i'm gonna get held down and like you know and it was really i shouldn't have been out there I mean, obviously it was a terrible night to be out there and um but that was it that's pretty gnarly <laughs> <laughs> i never went back i never went back <laughs> that's wild my last question for you is what is next for you um well um more books obviously you know the mop mop to mop rides the waves of change is the second book after mop rides the waves of life so i'm just gonna be writing those children's books <laughs> for a while that's cool and, uh, yeah yeah happy to be doing it that's awesome well thank you for doing this i'm glad we could make it work thank you i'm super fun and super relaxed and yeah i um yeah let me know when it's out and i'll I'll share it with i will it'll either be the like next monday or the monday afterwards but i'll let you know 
and that was episode 51 i really hope that you guys enjoyed it um i will have all the information for the books in the description and you can find jamal yogis at jamal yogis on instagram and his book is called mop rides the waves of life thank you guys so much and we'll see you next monday with another episode